Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to be looking at Genesis 47, picking the text back up in verse 13. In the first 12 verses, we are discussing this entire chapter where God is taking the people of Israel, which they're not quite a people yet. It's more of a family still at this point. And he is taking them and putting them in a foreign land. He's actually directing their steps to Egypt. And eventually he will call them out of Egypt. But for now, he's taking them to Egypt. In those first 12 verses, we looked at the idea that God's people should be prepared to appear before kings, looking at the idea that Joseph, or not Joseph, sorry, that Jacob appeared before Pharaoh. And we saw that he should be prepared to have an answer or have an answer prepared in accordance with the counsel that was given to those select brothers when they were questioned, this is how you should answer. And so they give that answer that was prepared. Uh, We also saw in verses 5 and 6 that God may reward his people according to their faith. And in verses 7 to 10, God may grant an opportunity to testify before kings. Now we are shifting our focus to Jacob in this manner. And then lastly, in verses 11 to 12, we see that sometimes God's people will have to live in a foreign land. And they lived there in Egypt, uh, but they were in the best of the land. All right, so now we pick it up in verse 13. This section will take us down through verse 27, and then we'll just have a few uh, verses to go to carry out the chapter. In verses 13 to 27, we learn that God may use wise leaders who follow him to ensure that his chosen survive and also bring blessing to others around them. So he may use uh, wise leaders who follow him to ensure that his chosen survive. And of course, what we're talking about here is we're talking about Joseph. Joseph is that wise leader that God has selected. And the wisdom that he has given to Joseph isn't just for Joseph's sake, for his own comfort and for his material wealth and comfort and all that uh, and that of his family, but it's actually uh, God is using that to preserve his family and not just his immediate family, but the promise that God had made to what would be Joseph's great-grandfather, right, to Abraham. Uh, We're looking at that and the fulfillment of that promise. So the short lesson of this chapter or this section here is this, the people, and by people, we're not talking about the people of Israel, the people of Jacob, but just the people in, in Egypt, Uh, The people survived, but were in great bondage to Pharaoh. Their survival came at a great cost. They had to give up all their land. They had to give up their money at at the rate of 20%. And several years ago, I met uh, somebody on a plane uh, when I was traveling, uh, and he was from Belgium. And he testified that he was actually taxed at 56%, a rate of 56% off of his gross income. And that did not include the 21% 
tax that he paid at the grocery store. Now, the American tax system is pretty funny and it's pretty, uh, you know, people try and do a lot of smoke and mirrors to make it sound like it's a lot better than it is. But when you factor in all the taxes, we get taxed on our income, we pay property tax, we pay income tax, now we pay taxes at the store, we pay sales tax, we tax, we pay inheritance tax, we pay road taxes, we pay uh, just an unbelievable amount of taxes. Every time you take dollars out to spend, they've already been taxed and then you get taxed in addition. And so it's really hard, but I've heard estimates that Americans at this current day and age are taxed at a rate very similar to Jan, uh, who I met from Belgium there, and in fact, even higher. They say America has one of the highest tax rates. It's just hidden and broken down into several different areas. But, uh, you know, some people say, well, I only pay 7.5%. Well, that's not actually true. You pay a lot more than you realize when you actually take that amount and see what the government is is taxing you. You, you actually get taxed. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it is. I'm sure somebody could... Uh, somebody could probably testify to that and and write to me and let me know what it is. But I've heard figures that go as high as I want to say, sixty or sixty five percent of of every dollar is is just tax. So it's it's pretty crazy when you actually think about it. But the real question is is what is your survival worth? Isn't that what's on you know on the line here? If given the choice between taxation, which results in a, in a form of bondage, even if you're the free people, we're not talking about the people of Israel here, we're talking about the Egyptians and they become uh, in, you know, bonded to, to Pharaoh, in bondage to Pharaoh because they're giving everything up so they can, they can eat. The question is, do you starve to death and have your freedom or do you give up your freedoms uh, so you can eat and survive? That's the, the grand question, isn't it? So God may use wise leaders who follow him to ensure that his chosen survive and also bring blessing to others around them. So God may preserve a pagan nation, but it will come at a cost. Let's pick up the text here uh, in verse 13. Now, there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought, or they bought, excuse me. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Let's just stop right there uh, for a moment, okay? So the words of the prophecy are coming true, the interpretation of the dream, which is a forecast about things to come in the future, which by definition meets the criteria for a prophecy, and we see uh, now that all of that prophecy is coming true. There's no food in the land. The famine is very severe. We're now two full years into it and some change. And so the entire land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in the neighboring, you know, to the to the north and east of, of Egypt is languishing by reason of the famine. And so what happens now? Well, he, Joseph, has been storing away all that food for years. He gathers up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. It all now goes to the state. Very interesting here. And in the land of Canaan, takes all their money. And what is it in exchange for? They're buying the grain. 
So then he takes that money and he brings it into Pharaoh's house. This is how the state ends up taking control. Now, we have to fast forward and talk a little bit about the grand picture, how God exists outside of time. We have to remind ourselves of the truth from the scripture that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people and those who dwell therein. Remember that, I believe from Psalm 24, we know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, so, and he owns the hills also, as people uh, like to say. One of the things that we have to realize, though, is that in the course of history and human civilization, God allows governments to take total control of money and, in part, at least through this example, of their people. And that didn't carry through all the way, you know, into perpetuity, all the way to the present age. It's not the same now. So clearly there comes a point at which this fails, but for a time, and for hundreds of years, the Pharaoh is going to gain total control over his people. It's always good for us to get a forest for the trees type of perspective when we are looking at the potential for such a situation to arise in our own country or in other Western civilizations. And I don't say that to be alarmist, but as we look around and we see whether through corruption or otherwise, governments, you know, doing these things and making moves to take control of all uh, of our assets and everything, that this doesn't necessarily preclude the idea that God is still over all things. Uh, when he provides for his people, it's not always in the context of human freedom, but what he does do is he makes sure that his believers, his children, have the opportunity for spiritual freedom. So it's very important to make those distinctions. So getting back to the Egyptians here, God may preserve a pagan nation at a cost. It's going to come at a tremendous cost to the Egyptians, which we've already seen. And then we see that God can and does use his people to prosper even in the toughest of times. All right. So Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into the Pharaoh's house. Verse 15, and when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of our livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land Buy us and our land for food? And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. 
the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day brought or bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as for food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So from a very practical standpoint, we see the situation going from dire, uh, you know, from, from bad to worse to dire. Let's say it that way. It just gets to the extreme level. And once they've run out of money, then they give their livestock. Once they've run out of money and livestock, then they say, hey, it's up to us. You know, you can have me and my land. We don't want to die. And we see that God continues to preserve a pagan nation at a cost. But God can use his people to prosper even in the toughest of times. During this whole time, uh, we know that Joseph personally is prospering, and he's making sure that his own family prospers. Now, Israel is faithful to Pharaoh during this time, and what they committed to do, staying in the land of Goshen and taking care of his livestock, Pharaoh's livestock. But the interesting thing is this this capstone statement here at the end in verse 27, that they prospered. They gained possessions while they are in the land of Goshen. Everybody else is selling theirs, but the people of Israel are gaining possessions and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So this isn't ironclad. It's not guaranteed that if we face a famine or something dire, that we are guaranteed to prosper during that time just because we are God's children. But it is possible because God is over all and in all and through all, that by his sovereign and providential hand, he can direct and make it so that his people prosper even in dire circumstances. Now, this thing that Joseph ends up doing for Pharaoh for the land of Egypt is going to have consequences that go on for decades and even centuries. The effect of this that ended up resulting in preserving a nation is going to be felt for hundreds of years. Now, that's interesting in the context that is laid out for us in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. That's the next book, right? You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But in Exodus, what we're talking about is their departure from Egypt. The whole book is given to that topic. We've now seen how they came into Egypt, and now we're going to see how they leave. But the end statement here of the famine getting so severe in the land is that the people of Israel prospered greatly and multiplied. So they're growing at an exponential rate because God is blessing them. They're gaining material possessions. And then lo and behold, after a few centuries, how does the book of Exodus start? There arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. 
And we can kind of extrapolate from that, that if that Pharaoh had known Joseph, he would have known of a man that single-handedly saved Egypt or who had done that. A man who was fiercely loyal and a family uh, who was the same. Had this Pharaoh done any research historically, he would have recognized that he was not enemies with the descendants of Joseph and his family or Jacob, right? But the point was, is that he forgot history. That's an also a very interesting point that history is forgotten. Uh, this Pharaoh that arises at the time of the Exodus, and of course, this is all under God's providential hand as well, but from a human standpoint, if he just knew his history, would have been able to know that these people were not an enemy, regardless of their size. And so just by learning application, it's something for us to mark down that knowing one's history is vital. History is very, very important and can often help us to avoid mistakes that would be costly and that we would regret in the long run. Right. That brings us to the last few verses here, uh, and that's verses 28 down through 31. Let's take a moment and read those. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. The last thing that we see here as we close out chapter 47 is that God's people must never lose sight of their promises and their heritage. In all of this, and we just get this summary statement, Jacob lived another 17 years. He comes into the land at 130 they're two years into the famine, so he's got five more years to go. He's going to be 135 when the famine ends. He gets 12 years of the land acting normally and giving the normal produce. But now his son, especially Joseph, is an esteemed high leader in the land, the one who is solely from a human standpoint responsible for the salvation of an entire nation. And now he gets that time with his son. But more than that, he doesn't lose sight of the promises that God had made to him. That is even more important than just living a life of luxury in a land that can afford you that because God has directed the steps of one of your relatives, like your son, uh, to be able to be in that position. It's more important, or top priority, I should say, for Jacob to make sure that he is in keeping with the promises that God has made to him. We could essentially sum up Jacob's argument this way, or the, the statements that he says. Basically, what he's saying is, I don't belong in Egypt, but I do belong in the promised land. So then he makes Joseph, who is the most powerful one in Egypt, not his brothers, but Joseph, to swear to take him home after his death. Carry me out of Egypt, he says. Don't bury me in there. Let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in their burying place. 
And Joseph says it, and it's not enough that he says that he will do it, even though he's never broken his word. He makes him swear it, swear to take me home after my death. Once it has been sworn, it's out of his hands. It's as good as done. His word is binding. But the thing that we learn from that is that we must never lose sight of our promises and our heritage. Now, do we have land promises? No. We don't have a place where we're trying to get to that God has specifically shown us. What we do have is we have an inheritance that is laid up for us in heaven, that is imperishable, that doesn't fade away. And robbers and thieves can't break in and steal and moth and rust do not corrupt, right? That's what we're trying to do is lay up our treasure in heaven, as we are told and admonished in the New Testament. But we must never lose sight of that so that we can adopt what is said of Abraham, which we've alluded to before in Hebrews chapter 11, which is Abraham was a pilgrim. He was searching for a city who had builders, uh, who had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Don't lose sight of that. Today, you and I are on a similar pilgrimage. We don't have a land to inherit. We have an eternal reward. We are still looking for that same celestial city that Abraham himself was looking for, the one that is being built for us. We are looking for a city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter how we have been material blessed or not materially blessed, excuse me, or not, we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of that which is the most valuable, which is namely the promises that God has given us. So those are some really important elements as we begin, as we have been working through this narrative section, right? God's people should be prepared to appear before Kings verses 1 to 12, verses uh, 13 to 27. God may use wise leaders, Joseph, who follow him to ensure that his chosen people survive and also bring blessing to others around them. And lastly, God's people must never lose sight of their promises and heritage. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick up our text as we begin our study of Genesis 48 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net. Oh,